we go. If you would please turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I hope today to stir you up to love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 13. This is a fairly straightforward chapter except for one point, and uh, we will talk through that. You have a piece of paper. Uh, if you would, please write down uh, 1 through 7. Space them out a little bit so you can make notes. This is not, I'm, I told some of you a lie, this is not a pop quiz. So don't worry. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Commands to righteous living which are left vague. Or hard to follow up. Today is going to be an exercise in reading commands to righteous living and thinking about concrete expressions of doing so. Chapter 13, if you would please, we're going to read through this and uh, I don't want to read it all myself. And so let's go around. We'll start with this side and go counterclockwise. If you would read a verse or two, and I will stop you at a couple points along the way. So if you would, go ahead. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. <laughs> do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must have account, must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored. <coughs> Now may the God of peace be brought again from the dead our from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equipped you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. 
Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I call on you, brothers and sisters, listen to this message of exhortation and encouragement, for I have written you briefly. Notice that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace with all of you. Grace be with all of you. Thank you. Instead of stopping you, I figured I'd lead, let you read through. And then let's talk about the structure a little bit. In general, most of this chapter is a list of, here, do this, do this, do this. All right? But not quite. And that's one of the potentially confusing things. Why is, for example, why when you get to verse 8, do you have Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why is this statement about Christology thrown in at this point? And then why do we go into a discussion of fruit from the altar? Benefiting, not benefiting. Let's go outside of the camp. All right. Now we get back to the, the, the practical. All right. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And then in verse 18, pray for us. And so it's in the middle. Something is stuck there. And so we'll spend a little bit of time talking about why, what's he doing, and um, how does this fit into the book? It's, it's actually the same theme he keeps going to over and over again. Uh, he's going to say it here right towards the end. Then you get a benediction at the end. And uh, you know, this is one of those things where it feels like to me, though no way to really prove this, um, when he's, he's, writing, he's writing this book, he ends it at the verse 20, 21, and then puts a final note at the end. How did that work? Did he... Write it at the bottom. Here, all right. When you're passing this along, here's my greetings. Here's some here's some news about Timothy. Uh, those from Italy send you greetings. So whoever this is is not in Italy because somebody from Italy came to this person. Who knows? But that's the general structure of the thing. So we're going to talk today through seven, and this is why you have seven. All right, seven things that you can do. All right. Um, in the next few weeks, seven things that you can do, perhaps in the next few days, to please God. All right. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do, because when it comes down to the, the nitty-gritty of how am I supposed to embody the commands of Christ, I do not know enough about any of your lives to really do that. All right. Really, I can do this for me. In some ways, I can tell you. But in most, mostly, we have to take these ideas and go, how does this work out at my job? Or how does this work out with my children? Or how does this work out with my social circle? And so I'm going to talk about the principle. And what we're going to do is we're going to write down seven concrete things that we can do. Not ideas, concrete things that we can do to embody these commands in the next few days or weeks. So let's begin at the beginning. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Number one is hospitality. You can write that by your number one. Now, hospitality in this case is not like we think about hospitality today. Uh, in a hotel, the hospitality group makes sure you have shampoo if you don't have it. Um, hospitality might be inviting somebody over for dinner. That's not that is a good idea, but not really what's going on here. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see lots of instances where random people show up in a place, and then suddenly people invite them into their house to eat. 
happens all the time. Three strange people come up to Abraham, and so he starts, hey, let's, let's have some food, okay? Uh, well, they're angels and Yahweh, but, you know, from a distance, maybe they're strangers, all right? Or um, the, the, the slave of, of Isaac goes off to a land to find his wife. Oh, let's bring him in, all right? This is fairly normal. You see that a lot in the Old Testament. You see it outside the Old Testament, too. It's not actually old, an Old Testament thing. Uh, anybody, anybody ever read the Odyssey? When, when Homer goes, he's, uh, this is after he escapes from the island, and he's on a raft, and he makes it to this other island. He knows no one. He goes into the city. And what do they do? They start feeding him and start giving him wine. And they don't even know his name at this point. And that's actually a big part of the story. They don't even know his name. It's random dude shows up. Yes, he can come in and have some of our food. Same thing happens with uh, Odysseus's son as he's going around looking for Odysseus. This is an ancient world thing, not ours. All right, where if you've got random people walking around and they come up to you, you are expected, based on hospitality, to help them. Which, given that kind of world, makes a lot of sense. All right, random person walking down your suburban neighborhood road comes by your house. All right, this is not the same scenario. In the ancient world, it might be okay, I'm super hungry and I have no water, there's a tent. I haven't seen another human in the last 80 miles and it's taken me several days to travel that far. If I don't get help, I might die. All right. So hospitality in the ancient world uh, is going to be a lot more necessary. And so for translating it to us is going to be a little bit more difficult. Now, this isn't directly saying when the person comes up to your door uh, and tries to sell you spectrum cable, uh, not to be rude to them. All right. Now, you probably shouldn't be rude to them. I try not, as much as I want to be rude when solicitors come up to my house, I try not to be rude to them. I don't think that's correct. This isn't quite talking about this. And the reason why is if Michael, for example, is hungry and he's thirsty, all right, he's not going to die from it. He can get in his vehicle and just drive down the road to the gas station and get something, all right? So there's not quite the necessity of if I don't help this person, he might die. However, let's think about it, all right? Hospitality shows what? If we think about the ancient world, what does hospitality show? Yeah. Recognition of kind of human dignity and that human yeah. lives have value regardless of whether you know anything about them. Yeah. 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 Which is hard to do when somebody calls your house trying to sell you something. All right. The reality is, right, most people who have those jobs, all right, that call your house and bug you or walk around the neighborhood and call their house and bug you probably would rather be doing something else and they feel trapped. All right. If, if, generally speaking, that's, that's going to be the case most of the time. Showing dignity, dignity to people, being nice to people, saying, you are made in the image of God. And so, therefore, I'm going to care for you and make sure, if it's totally necessary, that you don't die. Right? So now I want you to think. I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to think about a way that you can show hospitality. Or think of a way that you've not shown hospitality. All right? Think about that. I'm going to give you a minute to think about it, and then I want you to write it down on your piece of paper. All right? Something you've done that you should not have done, or think about something that you could actively do to help somebody else and be hospitable. You've got one minute. Think about it.
Okay. Hospitality. Next one, number two, is solidarity in an, in an anti-Christian world. Or just write Christian solidarity if you solidarity if you don't want to write all those words down. Verse three. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Hmm. I'm gonna tell you this is not about prison ministry. Prison ministry is not bad. This is not about that. Okay? What do you think this is about? I think that the, because you also are in the body is a clue. Yeah. This is about our persecuted brothers and sisters worldwide. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I really do. And you even got here at the end, right? You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Verse 23, right? I think this is the context. Christians are in persecution. All right. At this time, being put in prison for their beliefs. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. Right? Because you could be put in prison for the same reasons. And those who are mistreated, maybe not in prison, but mistreated in some way, since you also are in the body. It's important that we show solidarity, solidarity with other Christians. Now, we don't in America generally get put in prison because of our Christian beliefs, we can thank God for that. However, think about somebody in your life, either that because of their their Christian witness has been persecuted in some way, or if you don't know anybody, think about a, a Christian in your life that has shown a good witness, that is out there and you're like, people know you're a Christian, know what you stand for, write their name down, all right, and sometime in the next week or two, send them an email or a text and say, I see your Christian witness. Thank you for doing that. All right? I'll give you 30 seconds. Think about somebody in your life, somebody you can encourage just by sending a note. Write their name down. You're writing down your own homework right now. Number three, honor marriage. (coughs) Verse four, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There's one concrete thing there. When you're married, be faithful to your spouse. All right? That is a simple way to hold marriage in honor. But in general, we should honor marriage and honor the marriages of those right, who are faithful and good in their marriage. What I want you to do is think about a way, about a marriage. Maybe it's yours. All right? 
What's a way that you can honor your own marriage and your, and your, or your, your spouse? All right? What's something you can do? What's a way that when you're in speech and discussion with people at your work or in social circles that you can honor your marriage? All right? Instead of you know, making fun of this weird quirky thing your spouse does. All right? What can you do when you're in those conversations to say something good about your spouse? If you're not married, think of a marriage that you respect. Send them a note. Ask them a question about it. Say, I see your marriage. It seems good. And send them an encouraging note. So I'll give you a minute. Think of a way that you can honor your own marriage or somebody else's. One minute. Write it down. I'm making my own homework list, by the way. Marriage keeps society together, people. It's very important. Marriages break up, it messes everything up. Honor marriage. Number four. Treat money rightly. I kind of want to say treat money lightly, though money is important. Or you could say avoid the love of money. Verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see the connection here between belief in God and not holding on to money because people look at money as a safety thing. At least that's what I see as the connection here. Having money is good. All right? Being able to use money for good is a good thing. Loving money causes all sorts of issues. All right? So think of one concrete thing that you can do that will loosen your hold or loosen the hold of money on your mind. All right? One thing you can do that will help you not love money. Maybe it's giving something away. Maybe it's a a daily reminder to yourself or a weekly reminder to yourself to ponder it. Whatever it is. One minute. What's something you can do to loosen money's hold or to keep it loose on your own soul.
right, number five is going to take some more discussion. When you look at verse 7, you see, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And then if you go to 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think these two are connected. I don't think he was talking about leaders and then, oh wait, I'm going to write something else about leaders. I don't think that's it. I think this whole section all right, should be read as a unified whole. So let's think about what's going on. Right after that, you've got seemingly random, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We quote it all the time. All right? How does it fit into the context? What is the point? How does that have to do with leaders? All right? And the next verse. Do not be led away by strange, by, excuse me, by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. What does that have to do with it? Okay. Which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Okay, there's the food connection, so we're keeping a connection, but what does this have to do with strange teachings and Jesus? And why are we now talking about the tent, the tabernacle? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin. Oh, now we're talking Day of Atonement. Okay, are burned outside the camp. Something he's already discussed in this book, by the way. So that should... We should think about that theme. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Okay? We can definitely see how that's connected to the Day of Atonement. Why is it here? What does that have to do with obeying leaders? Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Another theme that has come up a number of times. Through him, then, let us continually up, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that, I, that either, if you read the King James, praise his name. If you read NIV, ESV, acknowledge his name or something like that. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. How does all of this hang together? Why is this here? I think... Here at the end of the epistle, he is one last time coming back to the same exact theme he's been hammering on over and over again. Or I guess I could say two themes because they are very much related for him. And that is the centrality of Jesus and the importance of not leaving the church. Those two things are right here and are like in every other chapter in this book. Bang, bang, bang. All right. But how does all of this fit together? From a big picture perspective, I think the idea here is, in this last one, do all these good things. And watch your leaders. Do what they do. Specifically, do what they do in following Christ. Specifically, not apostatizing. I think that's the main point. Now, let's go through some of, some of the details, starting back in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is this relevant to the subject of apostasy? Well, one thing this book discusses all right, is there has been a major change. All right? 
there was a major change in covenant. There was a time at which you were supposed to function within the context of the tabernacle and then the temple. That time is over. All right? That time is over. All right? If that's the case, if God does in fact change his covenants from time to time, what are we to think of this new covenant? Well, here's the deal. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not a random, let's throw a theological point in. All right? This fits in with this theme of Jesus, the one who is the center of our faith. All right? He's unchanging. And you see this in a number of ways. And if we actually go to the, uh, to the, very, to, to the, the, the final benediction. Now may the God of peace, verse 20, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, not a transient covenant. The Mosaic covenant was a transient covenant. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a lot of focus here on permanence. That, remember that note in here about this, we don't seek a temporary city? There's a lot of focus here on, on permanence. And so that's why that's there. Follow your leaders. Jesus isn't going to change. He's been the same. He isn't going to change, and they're following him. Number nine, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. In other words, don't leave the church based on false teachings. Don't apostatize. Follow your leaders. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by who cares about foods. All right. Lots of regulations on foods in Judaism. All right. Do not let your heart be strengthened by grace. By, do let your heart be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Speaking of food, we have an altar. All right. In the ancient world, what does altar have to do with food? In many sacrificial situations, that food was shared. All right, you sacrifice the animal. Most sacrificial situations, the whole animals are not burnt up. All right, a lot of it's shared. This is actually, though, what's going to follow uh, an exception to that the Day of Atonement. But anyway, all right, we have a different altar, all right, from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. All right, so this is obviously talking about the death of Christ. All right, this is not talking about the Lord's Supper, I don't think. This is talking about the, the, the death of Christ. For the bodies of those animals, now we're switching to the Day of Atonement, whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. Now remember, we discussed this. What's the point? What is the theological thing you learn by taking the animals and burning them outside the camp? And also the thing of put the sins of the people on the goat. What's, what do you learn from this? Separating of sins from the people of God. Yes. Separating of sins from the people of God. Those things don't belong in the camp. Right? What's the camp? The camp is the tabernacle and the people of God around it. All right? Those animals and sin don't belong, so therefore they are taken out and they are burned. Here's the twist. 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. All right, if we think about the city, where did Jesus get crucified? Was he wasn't actually crucified in the city of Jerusalem, all right? He was taken outside the city, outside the camp, all right? And crucified. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him and think about this whole topic of apostasy and going back into Judaism. Therefore, let us go to him where? Outside the camp, outside the people as it is defined in the Mosaic Covenant. Let us go to him outside the camp. All right? And bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. Jerusalem, not a lasting city. For we here have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Let's define it. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I think the the King James Version here and um, really really misses the point. I think it takes you in a direction that's very unhelpful here with the last one um, talking about praise. All right. If you have an NA, a New American Standard Bible, they have the same translation as well, but have a little footnote that says literally confess. All right. NIV, many others, or uh, ESV, they have um, confessed his name. And why is that relevant? All right. Why is that relevant? Because, once again, the context of apostasy. All right? You want to give thanks to Jesus? How do you do that? Well, one thing that Christians need to do, which might get them reproach, which might get them put in prison, all right, is you need to confess his name. Right? It is necessary to confess his name. Not just be a silent, I'll just hang around and not say anything and I won't get persecuted. You need to confess his name. All right? Bear the reproach. Go outside the camp. Bear the same reproach with Jesus. Give thanks to him. How, well, how do we do that? By confessing his name. The word there doesn't generally ever mean... I looked it up. I can't find any place where that word actually means give thanks. It's a very normal word for making a confession. All right? And so that's what it means and why the newer translations go that way. Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good. Think about everything we just discussed in terms of all these things. To share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for you are keeping watch over your souls. Excuse me, they are keeping watch over your souls, those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You've got this idea here, uh, I, I, at least it seems to me. I, I think about our church and I think, okay, in what way are, is Bill and Edward greatly distressed right now, groaning about, about me? 
All right. Or what way are they greatly distressed and groaning about Grady? All right. As in, like what? There's some, it's, it seems like the idea here is they're, the leaders are under some major pressure and are very concerned about their flock. All right, that's, that's how I see it. And given the context of the book of Hebrews and everything he's talking about, that, that's a live problem. You've got the church leaders worrying about, actively worrying about the apostasy of their people. They're seeing people leave because of persecution. And they are extremely concerned. What does the author of Hebrews tell you to do? Well, obey them, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's, it's their job to encourage us not to apostatize. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. All right? How are they going to groan? Well, you know what? You know what's going to make them groan? Apostasy in the church. That's going to absolutely make them groan. Groan. So, for number five, all right, I want you to think about a way that you can do something to imitate your leaders, to imitate their faith, or to encourage them. All right? What can you do? What about them can you go... All right, I can do that. Write it down. I'll give you a minute. Alright, finally, number six. Not finally, number six, next to finally. Penultimate. Number 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Think of one person that you can share something with. Write it down. Write down who you're going to share with and what you're going to share. Number seven. Verse 18, it says this. Pray for us. For we are sure that... Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you, 
the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. I want you to turn this into a prayer for yourself and pick one other person. I want you to pray that they would have a clear you and they would have a clear conscience and that you would desire to act honorably in all things. This is for yourself and one other person. Write down their name. And for the next week, I want you to pray this every day for yourself and for them. And you can add this part of the prayer from the benediction on that prayer too. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Good deeds left general as principles are hard to follow up on. Good deeds that you've thought about and said, I can do this thing that you've put on your to-do list if you do a to-do list. Well, you've got one now if you don't. Those are easier because you're like, yep, this is now not general, it's concrete. I've got a thing I can do. Alright? And most of this shouldn't take a lot of work to do these things. I'm not asking you to sign up for something long. I'm asking you to do some good. And you've now had a chance to think through it. Okay? Any thoughts? Any questions about this particular passage before we dismiss? I'm ready to go sing some Christmas hymns. I like Christmas hymns. Rhonda Cook, will you please pray for us? Father, thank you for our time and thank you for our parents' leadership and preparation and pray that you will um, equip us to be reminded of these um, great words throughout the week and throughout the month. Father, help us to focus on what we can do to um, walk closer to you. Pray for our next hour, Lord, um, open our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.